Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning, just because of a flash drive malfunction, we don't have it on the screen. But um, if you do have your Bibles, please turn there. If not, just listen real good. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Let's read it together. It says this. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a withered hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So the man stretched out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you are here, and you are here not just to, just to make us feel better about ourselves, but you're here to change us so we can take your glory and show it to the rest of the world. We love you, God, and let your word do your work in our hearts. Amen. Amen. We finished our No Matter What series last week, and for the next few weeks, we're just going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that's all right. We're very excited about preaching about this man named Jesus and the things that he did and the things that he's still doing in our midst. But before we get into that text, I want to tell you a story that is a somewhat a, a harrowing tale that was uh, from my, my childhood past. I was 17 years of age. It was the year 2004, and uh, I got invited to a girls' matric dance. Yep, it happened. It happened. It happened. And uh, let's be honest, she was scraping the proverbial bottom of the barrel when she asked me. I think it was because all the other guys had been taking. But I, I, got, the, I got the call up and she said, come on, can you come to my metric dance? Me? me? Okay, I'll come. So I, I didn't love metric dances or the ideas of it because if you're unaware, they're quite a big deal in a, every South African girl's school calendar. It's a big deal. And now this one particular girl asked me, let me tell you, I think she had drunk a little bit too deeply of the Disney Kool-Aid. And she had been sold a diet of proms and prom dresses, and this is going to be the night of our lives on High School Musical. We're going to all get together and sing a song together. It's going to be amazing, the night of our lives. And she was, to a point, hyperventilating with excitement about this night. Again, I say she asked me to go with her. But... um. What happened was months before, after she asked me over Mix It, yes, Mix It was those of the days, will you go to my dance with me? You spelt you, just letting you know, those are the good old days. And, uh, but she said to me once, I said, yeah, she said, cool, I've signed up an appointment. My mom's going to pick you up after school one day and take you all the way to Verulam, which is a 40-minute drive out of Durban, a community where there'll be a tailor who will tailor a suit for you. My goodness. I was like, all right. So I was like, skinny jeans and t-shirt won't work then. Okay, it's learning. So I went with her. She picked me up. The mom picked me up, and we drove, made awkward chit-chat in the car for 40 minutes, got to Verulam, got out, and the tailor went to work, you know, with this fine specimen. <laughs> Measuring 
the length and width and finding all this thing, and uh, I felt being prodded and, and pinned, and it was, it was, it was a, quite an experience. Uh, the problem was that it wasn't good enough, so we ended up going up not once, not twice, but three times. We went back for different measurements. This became a bit of an ordeal. And uh, as each trip went, I got a little bit more nervous and nervous because I was thinking, she is expecting something bigger this night. This is a big night for her, and I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm the right guy for, the, for a fun evening of matric dancing. Firstly, I can't dance. But anyway, that's the story for another day. But um, I think also the problem was I was nervous because I think in her head she was picturing that when she, one, years earlier when she had come out the womb and said, I can't wait for my metric dance, <laughs> and she started dreaming and fantasizing about that night, she probably pictured next to her was a combination of Zac Efron and Justin Bieber. Let me tell you, though, the problem was she didn't get tall, dark, and handsome. She got skinny, pale, and pimply-faced. And that was me. I was the guy ready for the dance. And the scary thing was this, that the suit she chose, though, was off-white pants, <laughs> off-white shirt, and a bro- chocolate brown jacket. <laughs> the complexion wasn't working with this outfit. Again, I say she probably had someone else in mind, when she, but scraping the barrel. But I saw this happen, and I was like, this is nervous. The big day arrived. The, the, the months turned to weeks, turned to days, and it was that day, that Saturday in 2004, and that morning, the, the, the mom of the girl who asked me dropped off the tailored suit in this big canvas bag, and I unzipped it excitedly. And uh, as I pulled out what was meant to be the off-white pants, I realized they were not, no longer fitting. I went three times, believe it or not, but they were just a little bit slightly above the ankle and a little bit loose around the waist. No matter, no matter. Just wear long black socks and tie that belt a little bit tighter, you know? But the problem didn't stop there. The pants were no longer just off-white. They were see-through white. And the shirt. So you could see every rippling six-pack muscle of mine. You could see it all. And this threw me into a bit of a spin. Now, at this stage, I was a guy who just, I really did not want to go to this dance because I didn't want to be seen. I was an awkward teenager. I had red hair, so I used to dye my hair black to hide. That's who I was. I didn't smile in photos. I was that 17-year-old kid who didn't want to stick out. And there I am wearing see-through pants. This was not happy, and I threw a bit of a tantrum at home. I stamped, I threw pillows around. My brother was visiting, loving every minute of it. He said, I'll come, I'll drop you off, I'll drop you off. But I refused to wear them, so I put on just some black pants. I put a black T-shirt underneath the white see-through shirt and the chocolate jacket on top. And uh, when I, let's be honest, when I got there, the girl wasn't very pleased that I had ruined the outfit that she had painstakingly chosen for me. And let's be, I'll be honest, if you go look at those photos, you won't see me smiling, you won't see her smiling. It was not the night of her dreams, if I can be honest. But I tell this silly story, and it's, I've been thinking about it the last few days, because I think that we all have moments in our lives where we feel suddenly vulnerable, where we feel exposed. Uh, maybe not as much as I did that night. I felt very exposed when I put those pants on. But uh, we have moments where we're exposed, vulnerable, weak, or embarrassed. And this morning, with this text that we read earlier, I want to just do one simple thing. I really believe this pastor is going to offer us some helpful truth of what you and I need to do when life gets big on us and we feel exposed, vulnerable, weak, or embarrassed. Is that right? Going to make sense of this as we go. So let's go back to that text. Chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. We read it. I want to give you some main characters. Very quickly, we find a man named Jesus. Jesus is the main character of the story. And in those days, this is early on in his ministry, he's a polarizing figure. He, uh, he had recently entered, entered society's lens, and he was performing miracles on the left. He was saying some pretty inflammatory stuff on the right. 
And most of all, he was sticking up his, uh, the proverbial finger up the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day up their nose, and they were getting frustrated. They didn't like this guy. He was causing a stir. Jesus. Speaking of the Pharisees and the other, guy, the other guys called the, the Herodians, they feature in this story. The Pharisees were your right-wing conservatives. They are the, the authority on all things spiritual, ethical, and moralistic. They were your Republicans, if I can be honest. They are that group, you know. The Herodians on the other side were your political, liberal, left-wingers who preach tolerance just as long as you agree with our level of tolerance, you know. They're the two sides. So the political figures were in this thing. And then we find, finally, this man who's given a title, Man with Withered Hand. He's a guy who's mentioned in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Get, give this guy his story. He gets his six verses of limelight, but no one mentions his name. He is called Man with Withered Hand. He is the epitome of that awkward kid who gets the role in the play, tree enters stage left. <laughs> and waves to his parents because he has no lines in the show. That's the guy, man with withered hands. And, uh, and this is the story. This is the story that we get together. This is the man, man with withered hand, who wants to just blend in, just wants to keep quiet, let the show go past me. I just want to be in the corner of the photo. That's all I want. And then we get to the first thing, and this is how the story takes part. And I want to give us two points and then one implication for us this morning. First point is this. When Jesus enters this man's story with the Pharisees and Herodians looking, we realize one thing about Jesus is that he is not ashamed of our weakness. Point one is Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness. We find here a man, a man with a withered hand, who has made his life all about hiding. He had a physical defect, a a, a withered hand, a deformed hand. It's a paralyzed, an atrophied hand, a hand that's withheld, that's withdrawn. And he's made his life, I can imagine, this is not, uh, it's not due to an accident. It's not due to something just happened at work a few years. I've always known my normal. No, he was born with this defect and he's carried it around for years. This has become his identity. So much so that he is called man with withered hand. It's not man with red hair or man with big nose or man with big family. Man with withered hand. That's him. And this is how he goes about. And, and this, this physical defect has impeded his work. I can imagine he can't do certain things. He can't go work at the factory. He can't, he's got a, he can't be a guy who works in carpentry. You know, he's challenged in that area. It's inhibited his sport. See, for touchies on Saturday, ah, I won't be able to make it, eh, guys? Not really good at that. You know? Putt-putt, it's my game. But no, no, it's inhibited his socializing, his self-confidence, I can imagine. I, I can imagine that he'd become good at working around his defect. You know, when people said, hi, hello, puts a left, out, left hand quickly. He knows how to do it. He knows how to operate with his left hand because he's, he's making sure he's, that he won't use the right. He didn't want to be exposed. He didn't want to get po- pointed out. And I can imagine if he had a theme song, it would probably be R.E.M.'s, That's Me in the Corner. That's him. The guy who just wants to hide and get on by. But the first line in that scripture says, as custom, Jesus walks into the synagogue and it says this, Jesus noticed the man with the withered hand. I love that word. In my Bible, I've underlined noticed. And that word noticed is not just like, oh, oof. He saw it, but walked around. It's not noticed like he looks with condemnation. It's noticed he looked and he engaged and he realized who he was beyond his defect. He was noticed, probably for the first time, maybe for a long time. And I want to tell you this, that something that's gripped my heart in more ways than one, is that Jesus does not move away from our weaknesses. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus does not move away or shy away from your sin or your defaults or your defects or your deficiencies. No, Jesus, when you mess up, he doesn't leave the room and says, I'll be back when you get your life sorted out. 
Let me tell you this way. Jesus doesn't do timeouts. Jesus doesn't do the silent treatment. He doesn't see you with your defect, your default, the thing that's holding you back, and say, sort yourself out, then come back to me. No, no, Jesus walks in the room and he notices you. He notices. This is an incredible thing. Years ago, I think we've grown up in a culture of timeouts and, you know, with our, our kids' separation. You know, like, so you've messed up. Go to your room. I just can't see you right now. And it gets in our psyche. I was in Namibia a few years ago, and I was at a, a moment where, with a family, and they had two kids, an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old, and a dad was there. And uh, the two kids, we were all just chatting in the lounge. The two kids were watching TV in another room, and there's a whole bunch of us, and this dad was chatting, and all of a sudden, we heard like, a yelp come up from the, te- the kids in the TV room. And I think the brother or the sister, someone pinched somebody. You know the usual, he did, she said, he said. And eventually, just got a little bit wild, and the dad called the boy and said, Hey, boy, come here. And the eight-year-old came through, and I thought, oh, here we go. Embarrassing moment coming, you know, in front of all, everyone. He's going to get a hiding, or he's going to be, go to a, go sit in the car or something, you know. And this moment happened. While I was watching, everyone else maybe just carried on, but I was intrigued. What's going to happen? How's the dad going to handle this moment? And the dad, the boy came stomping, sulking. Yes, dad, what? She said, he said, no, quiet, quiet, quiet. Don't want to hear. He says, think, relax. And he says, come here. And the eight-year-old clambered onto his dad's lap. Not happy. Not happy about the situation, but put him there, and the dad gets a strong hand and pushed the strong hand with the boy's head onto his chest, and the boy, wrestling, not, not fair, dad. He's like, shh, just quiet, just quiet. And the conversation carried on, but I was intrigued and watching this. What's going on here? And as, as the boy's breathing calmed down, he slowed down, I heard the dad start whispering, saying, you know, I love you, eh? You know, I'm proud of you. You know, you're my boy. The boy, yes, dad, yes, dad. Eventually, just became, yes, dad. Then after a while, I said, are you ready to go apologize to your sister? And she said, yeah, I'm ready, Dad. He leapt off the lap and went and apologized, and they carried on with life. And as I watched it, I was like, that's how the Father disciplines you and I. He doesn't discipline us. Yes, God is a Father who loves us. So, so much so that when we, when we don't do well, when we mess up, when we fall short, it doesn't mean that He leaves us alone. It's not that type of love. It's an engaging love. And, but the way He disciplines us is by bringing us closer. Come here. But we've grown up in a culture where when we are messed up or we are sh- covered with shame or brokenness, we think, time out. I know that for years, that when I was struggling with, in my teenage years with pornography addiction, Sunday was the worst day of the week because I felt exposed. I thought I'd walk in, I thought everybody knows. I'm like, oh, I'm sure I deleted my internet history. But how are they always looking at me differently? You know, like this. I felt that, but no one knew it. But even I engaged with God, the first three songs I struggled. And I was hoping they'll sing a fourth song. So then at least by that day, I'll be like, okay, I'm forgiven now, you know? As if God was saying, you know, you got to, oh, you, I know what you did yesterday. No, the movie, he, he does not watch, I, I know what you did last summer. <laughs> he, he knows, because he says, do you know what I did 2,000 years ago? So much so that he became our sin. He's not afraid of our sin. He's not nervous. He's not like, ooh. I don't know what's uh, that sin. Oh, I don't like that one. No, no. He's not ashamed of our weakness. Point one. So much so in this story that he actually puts himself on the firing line in a moment where the, the Pharisees and Herodians are watching to trap him. They're wanting to arrest him. They're wanting to kill him. And Jesus is so, uh, in those moments, I'll be nervous and careful. What do I say? Politically correct. Jesus, be careful. But in that moment, he sees and he notices the man with the withered hand and says, I'm going to be still standing by him. I'm not going to cozy up to the Pharisees. I'm not going to cozy up by saying the right thing to these guys. I'm going to stand with that guy, the weak guy. So much so it says this in the Bible. It says he has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Can I tell you, Jesus did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. 
If you know one thing, and you come to, I pray that people come to this church would hear week in and week out that Jesus came for those things that are broken. He's not coming with a ruler and saying, do you measure up? He says, I'm coming for you. He's not a Zeus-like God who waits at the top saying, come to me. He says, I'm coming down, and he became a man. He came to our level and to lift us up. This is the gospel we get to preach. Secondly, in the story, I learn not only that Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness, I learn that Jesus hates religion. He hates religion. Maybe that's a harsh word, but I, I really feel to say that. That actually what religion means, and I'm not meaning religion just by, is it a, are you a Christian or are you Muslim? What, what is your religion? What I mean by religion, religious thinking, and the Pharisees and the Herodians, they made a living out of exposing people's sin and weakness, but having no power or desire to help them get better. That's religion. You fall short. You fall short. You fall short. And you, and you twist on the Oprah, everyone's getting a, a toy. It's, you fall short. You fall short. You all fall short. That's what the religious people did. Jesus said it again and again. He said, you put heavy loads on them. You, this is, you're misrepresenting my father. You're putting heavy loads on people that they, you yourself can't even bear. And you just are better at covering up your sin than they are. Jesus hated the religious notion. So much so in this text, it says he was angry, he was deeply saddened. Other texts say he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Jesus, angry? You bet you. But it wasn't the man in the corner with a weak, withered hand who couldn't really do much for himself. It was with the religious guys who were putting false things on people and calling them to false standards. Now, I want to tell you this. The Pharisees at the end, this was so bad, they so hated Jesus, that it says the Pharisees, the last verse, and the Herodians gathered together to plot how to kill Jesus. Now, this is like the Republicans and the Democrats getting together and saying, we're going to get together on this issue. It's that bad. It's like the ANC and the DA saying, let's get together. We'll form a coalition on this issue. Okay, maybe you don't get it. It's like Liverpool fans and Manchester United fans saying, we will come together. <laughs> this doesn't happen. These are, can I tell you, it's, it is crazy, the story. It's crazy that that thing would bring them in together. Why were they both on two different ends of the page? They disagreed on so much. Why? Because Jesus gets up and the religious hate him because he says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. These guys, the liberals on this side, hate him because he says, no man can come to the Father except through me. For one group, they hear it as easy. The other group hear it as hard. And they hear it as this. One group, he says, I came for everyone. All who are thirsty, all who we come. It's inclusive to all. To this group, they hear, he says, the way to me is hard. It's a narrow path. They're like, that's exclusive. For every group, he comes against their prejudice, their desire in their hearts. Jesus cuts in the middle. He's not going to be pigeonholed into your desires. He's here representing the Father. Not your political party, not your ambitions, not your dreams, not your desires, but the Father. And he is angry with them because he says, you're misrepresenting the Father. Jesus hates religion. Can I tell you this? We are all susceptible to religious responses. I think we look at it and go, Pharisees, they're the worst. I'm a Pharisee, if I'm honest. I look at my heart, I look at my motives, I look at my responses to things I see in the news. I realize what I do to some people, even my response to other people, is that I end up, all, all I'm doing is hide my weakness, hide my withered hand, and point out your withered hand. With my strong hand. I get good and I hide this one. You know? I don't know about you, but that's me. I'm the number one at that. So I'm just, you know, I, I grade my sin. At least I'm not doing that. I'm the, I'm the biggest culprit. But Jesus has no time for that. 
Number one, Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness. Number two, Jesus hates religion. But the third point, which I love the most, is this. When he gets to a moment where he engages with this man with the withered hand, the man he noticed, he says, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he says to him this amazing thing. He says, stretch out your hand. Here's my point. What you stretch, he will bless. Let me say it again. What you stretch, he will bless. When Jesus said to him, come here, stand in front of everyone, the man in the corner, feeling awkward, feeling as if he was wearing uh, see-through pants and see-through shirts and going, I hope no one notices me. This is awkward between you guys. No, Jesus said, no, no, you're center stage. Come, stand here. And he's like, what's going to happen? And he says, stretch out your hand. I can imagine him. Gets the good one out. Hi. Jesus says, no, no, wrong hand. This one's withered. This one's held back. This one's hidden from people. This one's put in the jacket pocket. This one's not exposed to people. Because I want to tell you, he got used to using this one. He, got, he started maybe, in a sense, pretending that, hey, look at me. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm not, it's not awkward for me to have a, a, a withered hand. Here's the thing. Jesus cannot bless who you are pretending to be. Jesus cannot bless who you are pretending to be. I'm strong. I've got it all together. Cool. Jesus goes, great. Good luck with that then. Because then we tell you, Jesus stands with those who are weak. Jesus stands with those who are vulnerable. Jesus stands with those who need his grace. Not those who say, I've got it all together. This is called gospel vulnerability. This is the culture that I pray that we start to understand that the gospel is not some hoo-ha, let's do this thing. We change the world by being weak and vulnerable and honest and say, I need help. That's how we change the world. That's how people find freedom. Let me tell you this amazing thing that when he said, stretch out your hand, this man got his hand. The Bible says he stretched out his withered hand and says, comma, and as he was stretching, it was restored. Jesus did not touch him. Jesus didn't pray a prayer. Jesus didn't go, right, we've got to get the oil. We've got to do a a rain dance around you. You Have you fasted? Have have you prayed and prepared for this moment? No, no, no. They go, just hit in my hand. Stretch out your hand. As in in the word of God, what he spoke, he said, stretch out your hand. Responded to the little faith this guy had to actually pull it out of its cover and stretch it out. As he stretched it, the hand was restored. It was healed in the stretching. What you stretch, he will bless. Let me tell you, the two greatest forces in the universe are from his end, the word of God, because it never returns to him void. And he spoke it, stretch out your hand. The second, the greatest resource from our end is faith. And when those two collide, when faith and his word collide, incredible things happen. Nothing is impossible for God. It was restored in the stretching. And here's my big thing that I love. In Luke's gospel, chapter 6, Luke was a doctor, so he loved details. Luke tells us that it was his right hand that was withered. Now, let me tell you why that is profound. For a Jewish culture, so much so that uh, a Jewish family... Fathers blessed their sons. Fathers gave inheritances. Fathers' authority was through their right hand. So much so that the tribe of Benjamin was called son of my right hand. Jesus says to God, the father says, Jesus, you'll sit at my right. The right hand sign, the Jewish culture held authority, held blessing, held inheritance. A father at the bar mitzvahs still to this day will gather their sons and bless them with the laying on of their right hand. This man, his hand was withered. This was not just some physical defect. This was not just something, this was something, his, his identity as a man in that culture was taken away from him. In a sense, for this man had a withered hand, he in a sense said, I don't know if I can actually give my sons anything. The future stops with me. I can't bless my sons in the way that every other male would be able to do. I'm not able to give anything into the future because it's me, my withered hand. 
But in this story, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. In that moment, Jesus didn't just restore, but he said, I'm taking your weakness and I'm turning it into inheritance. Jesus loves to stand with us in our weakness. Future restored in that moment. A man who entered, that's me in the corner, who just didn't want to be exposed. But because he allowed the gospel to intervene his life and he met it with faith and took that which was shriveled, stretched it and allowed Jesus to bless it, everything changed for him. And his future was different. His son's future was different because he responded in faith. Man with withered hand walked away, not getting a name in public, but getting a future for his family in private. Let me say this this morning. What is withered and hidden in your life? Fiona and I met with a, a lady this week who's 31, who three years ago got married. Excited, dreaming, a godly girl who loved Jesus. This was amazing. And three years in, her husband leaves her. She's 31, been married for three years. The scandal, and she says to us, honestly, she said, the word divorce, just, it's, just, it's like I didn't want to tell people about it, I was divorced. Because the shame, that she said, I'm, I've only been married three years. What do I do with that? And I was so grateful that I've been reading the scripture. And I could say to her, you know what, there's something, maybe that shame that you're going to try and tuck in your back pocket. That you, I won't let anyone know. Can I tell you, that withered hand, that withered area in your life, Jesus says, yeah, stretch it out to me. And watch me restore a future. Let me, watch me restore something that you think maybe just will be something you'll carry around as your thing. And I can get good with this hand. I'll just work around the weakness. Jesus said, no, no, bring your weakness to me. Can I tell you, maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you've been abused. And that thing has been hidden for years. Maybe you've been addicted. I don't know, to what? To, what? to substances, to, to the, the, the praise of man. You've been addicted to something. And that thing has become the secret shame. And you're holding it withered in. And you, and, but people only see this hand operating. They never will know about that one. If I can just keep it quiet, that's fine. Maybe you've, your withered hand is your marriage. You're sitting here today and you say, my marriage is withered. There's no life. I'm, I'm good on my own, actually, so maybe we should just move out, separate. And I say, stretch out your, stretch out your hand. Maybe you're sitting here with fear today. Fear that's gripped you. And you hold that, and you put on this facade of smile, and everything's good. But that withered thing inside of you, uh, finance, you say, I don't know what the future is. Anxiety, or health even. Maybe today you can. You say, I've been sick for many years. This thing, it just doesn't get better. I got used to it. Can I tell you, this morning Jesus comes here and he's not here to expose. He's not here to embarrass, but he's here to call you to respond. Because the gospel demands our vulnerability if we are to walk in his full power. The gospel demands us to say, we are weak, you are strong. But if we keep saying, I am strong, I am strong, I am strong, Jesus says, there's no opportunity for me to be strong in your life. This morning, I'm going to call the band up. I wanted to preach short because I felt we needed to respond today. I really just believe this morning that some of us need to respond. This is a moment where actually God is saying, will you stretch out your hand? This is something, a principle I'm putting in my life that's not just for the big moments, it's for every moment that I believe that Jesus, what you stretch, he will bless. Whenever you stretch yourself, for us, stretching ourselves financially, we know it puts us in a position to be blessed. Because we're living in a place of vulnerability. If we're living in our means and our strength all the time, he's going, I want to bless you, but you're not giving me a gap. So I'm saying, actually, we've got to stretch ourselves. In my marriage, I've got to stretch myself. When moments where I feel that I cannot anymore, I've got to stretch myself, because in those moments, he blesses. I don't know where you're sitting, but you're saying, Jesus, today I want to stretch. 
I want to stretch out. Maybe it's a thing that's been hidden for years. Maybe it's just something that actually I've stopped doing what, something that I should have been doing for years, but I want to stretch out again. If that's you, I want us to respond in worship and respond by, by being bold and coming to the front. We haven't done this for a long time, but I really believe today's a day for some of us to be ministered to, to move out of our chair, that, that thing, with this guy standing in this corner, just pass me by, just get me to 11.30, get me to my coffee. But actually, the blessing's in the stretching. 